I explain why I'm becoming a CNN analyst. Plus, Cam Edwards joins the show to talk about the impact of guns on the upcoming midterm election. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I made the devil run. I gave him poison just for fun. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski. I'm also the founder of TheReload.com, where you can head over and check out our free weekly newsletter if you want to get the latest in gun news across the country delivered right to your inbox once a week. Every week, you get a nice summary of what's going on, all the biggest stories. Uh, and then if you want to dive a little bit deeper, you can also become a member, which is how we fund The Reload here. Uh, and you'll get access to exclusive pieces of analysis, exclusive stories that you can't find anywhere else. Uh, so head on over to the Reload and check out those options today. But we are talking with a friend of mine, uh, whose show I was just on uh, earlier today, Cam Edwards of Bearing Arms. How are you doing, Cam? I'm good. It's good to see you again. And uh, thanks for coming on, Cam and Company, earlier today. It was, it was That was a fun conversation. This, I'm looking forward to this one, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, my new role at CNN, which I'll I'll talk to uh, talk about with Jake later on. And then we talked about, uh, you know, some of the longer term implications in, in the gun world, you know, things like what's going on with the courts, the reactions by state legislature to the Supreme Court's Bruin decision. Uh, we had a great conversation about that. And uh, I figured on this show, we could talk maybe a little bit more about the the short term uh, here with, with uh, the midterm elections coming up in what three weeks now is that yeah less than three weeks right? now so, yeah yeah it's moving fast it, it is uh and you know i read your piece of the reload uh pointing to this new poll this was uh was it a sienna poll uh new york, new york times, times sienna. in sienna yeah, yeah. showing just one percent of likely voters saying that uh, guns were their top priority which you know we have seen uh, I think other polls have shown that that support's not quite as high, although it's interesting when you break it down by party. I think this is one of the problems for Democrats is that guns and gun control is still a big issue for Democratic voters, but it's not nearly as important an issue for Republicans and independents. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I think you're starting to see this swing in the polling, you know, the generic ballot uh, uh, switching back to a. Uh, Republican lead in some cases or a, a bigger Republican lead in some cases, because, I, you know, I don't think the the Democratic push for gun control is resonating uh, with American voters right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the way the New York Times put it in their write up was uh, back in you know June, because uh, we had this historic um, summer for for the issue of guns in America, right, with uh, the Uvalde shooting, of course, being a, a huge uh, event that's you know it's one of the worst massacres in American history, of course, and uh, and of course the police response to it was another hugely controversial uh, part to what happened. And uh, in response, to that you saw uh, the first really new federal gun restrictions in several decades. They were uh, you know on the more moderate side, I guess, of uh, you know compared to what a lot of gun control advocates want, but they were still new restrictions. They're bipartisan bill. The president signed it. Uh, and then, of course, we also got a historic ruling from the Supreme Court in Bruin, which, which of course, we talked about more the implications on your show. Uh, and people should head over and, and listen to that episode, of course. But, uh, but you know, back in that time period, you saw polling, including this New York Times poll, that had guns. Now, you know, it was never the number one issue. Right. But it was up at eight, nine percent compared to one percent. And the New York Times notes that among the people who had it as their top issue, they preferred Democrat con Democratic control of Congress. So with this issue receding uh, uh, in this poll, at least that indicated it was a good issue for Democrats at, at the time in the summer. Uh, I mean, I think it is. Uh, it's certainly not good for the the state of uh, of the Democratic Party's attempt to try and hold on to control. No, I, I think you're right. And it's interesting how this has played out. I mean, as you note, you know, earlier in the year, this was an issue that was polling much better. And you look at what's going on in Ohio, for example. Uh, Nan Whaley, 
who is the former mayor of Dayton. She was the mayor of Dayton uh, at the time of the mass shooting in 2019, I believe it was. Uh, and she basically based her gubernatorial campaign around the idea that Mike DeWine promised he would do something about gun control and he didn't. And said he sided with the gun lobby uh, and he, you know, signed constitutional carry and he uh, signed the, you know, armed uh, school staff bill. Uh, and that message never really took off in Ohio. Like, mm-hmm. you know, DeWine has been leading handily in every poll. I think that one of them uh, he's up by like 23 points. You know, he is. Um, the, the Senate race is very tight, right? Uh, between, uh, uh, JD, uh, 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 Vance, Vance and, uh, and Tim Ryan, but the governor's race, I mean, DeWine is just, you know, clobbering Whaley, who is, who basically ran a campaign on gun control. And I think we're seeing that same dynamic play out in Texas, you know, Beto O'Rourke obviously tried to use the shooting in Uvalde. Uh, to make gun control a, a top issue in this campaign. Um, but the one of the last polls I saw that came out of Texas, and it's been a few weeks since we've had one, um, did ask, you know, what are your top issues? And for Republicans and independents, it was border security. I mean, by far. Uh, for Democrats, it was abortion. Uh, the second top most important issue for Republicans and independents was inflation. For Democrats, it was guns. You know, and and so... I think that they are finding themselves uh, out of touch with Americans. You know, inflation, job security, those kitchen table issues, I think, have emerged once again as the primary issue because things aren't getting any better. You know, every time we go to the grocery store, it's costing us more money. Uh, It's starting to cost us more money when we go fill up our tank. And while Joe Biden was happy to take credit for gas prices going down, all of a sudden it's, you know, the oil companies, Paul and Putin and whoever else, when the prices start going up. I don't think Democrats are doing themselves any favors, but I also wonder too, Stephen, whether or not the few months we've had since the Bruin decision coming down, um, we know that there's been this influx of people who have sought concealed carry permits in these May issue states. But I don't know. I wonder if, if to one degree or another, there hasn't also been a shift in position uh, once again, back towards support for the Second Amendment and you know, uh, folks being less inclined to support uh, various gun control policies. Yeah, it's interesting uh, theory. Certainly, I mean, it is common, right, for us to see an increase in support for gun control in the immediate aftermath of something like Uvalde, something mm-hmm. horrible, in uh, and and something that captures the attention of the of the whole nation, uh, and then. That you know, things from that point, you tend to see a lessening of support, a drop for support in those same gun control policies. Although one, I will say that, uh, and as we've talked about this before, but one of the areas where that there was an exception to that rule this time around was with uh, what is actually seems to be the top priority for Democrats, which is an assault weapons ban, you know, an AR a ban on AR-15s and AK-47s, and uh, you know, and similar firearms. And, uh, you know, something that, as you, you noted, uh, Beto, he's obviously been running a somewhat um, all over the place campaign on the issue of confiscating AR-15s and AK-47s, which was this marquee, marquee issue when he ran for president. But he's been sort of back and forth on that. Uh, but you, you've also seen the House pass the first assault and span bill uh, since the assault and span of 1994. Um, and so it's clearly a top priority among Democrats, uh, but you actually saw uh, a drop in support for assault and span in the immediate aftermath of Evalde in a lot of the polling that was done. And, and you know, so that, that's been interesting to watch as well. It, it has been. And again, I think it's a I, I mean, I won't call it a misstep on the part of Democrats because I think they're they're, you know, they're doing what they want to do. Um, but again, I, I think it is a misstep in terms of uh, that's not, uh, I, you know, when, and I always take, uh, you know, polls about uh, views on gun control with a lot of grains of salt, but, uh, mm-hmm. I'm always fascinated when a pollster will ask, not only do you support a law, but how much good do you think it will do? Right. Um, and it seems to me, uh, you know, while folks may support, uh, you might find, you know, 55, 60% support for a, a ban on so-called assault weapons. People don't necessarily think it's going to do a lot of good. 
Um, which is one of the reasons why I think this isn't a top issue, because I think there are a lot of what I call soft supporters of gun control. Um, they they want to do something right to, to fight violent crime. They want to do something to uh, make sure that things like what happened in Uvalde don't happen again. But they don't really know what they hear a lot about gun control. So, all right, well, let's go there. Right. Um, but I think if you present them with other options. Uh, in terms of, you know, in, in the case of Uvalde, we can talk about, you know, increases in school security. We can talk about things like arming teachers. Um, I think all of a sudden gun control becomes, in many cases, less attractive. Uh, John Lott also did some uh, research recently where they surveyed people about red flag laws. And then they kind of filled in the details about how the laws work in practice and support for the laws went down. So sometimes when we learn more about these laws, they become less popular. I know you've talked about, you know, the uh, universal background check referendum in Maine and Nevada in uh, yeah. 2016. Right. And now, you know, the supposed 80 percent support for universal background checks was like 50 percent and actually 48 percent in the, in the yeah. state of Maine. Right. right. So, you know, I don't think there's one thing going on here to explain it, but it is clear that gun control is not the winning issue that Democrats thought it was going to be. I, I'm hard pressed to think of a campaign right now that is really out front uh, with a, a gun control message, even when you think they would be like the Arizona Senate race, for example, Mark Kelly. Yeah. You know, right. is not talking about gun control. Uh, yeah, he's running I mean, against a guy who builds ghost guns in his garage, and he's not he, bringing he up guns. Found a, a gun control group. Exactly well. right. Um, um, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, there, uh, there's, there are some, mainly like Beto. I think Val, De Val Dennings in Florida, um, but those are generally not considered to be terribly competitive races. Right. That's, uh, either, that's the so. other thing. I mean, the, you know, you can't really point to a candidate who's been successful at making gun control an issue this cycle. Um, now, you know, on the other hand, that, do you think that holds the other direction as well? Do you, uh, can you th think of candidates who've made gun rights, the central issue of their campaign and are having success with that? So, so that, that's, what's interesting. Cause I know that you had written about um, the NRA uh, spending and just like gun control groups have been cutting ads where, you know, half the ad or more is about abortion. Mm -hmm. um, the NRA has cut some ads that are about crime. I think you have seen, which by the way, I think that's another, uh, sort of, you talk about how polling's not everything, right? And right. I agree with that. And, mm -hmm. and uh, we do have, we have this New York times poll. We have, uh, two polls from YouGov that are commissioned for different publications, but they basically show the same thing, which is that, uh, people listing guns as the, their most important issue has dropped by about half since, uh, since June. So, uh, similar trend. The numbers are slightly different. Um, but, you know, we, we have that polling. But then we also have some non-polling indicators like the gun groups themselves. They're still spending, right? They're certainly still mm -hmm. out there raising money and spending millions of dollars in a lot of these big battleground races. But, uh, you know, they've, uh, there's a tempering of the message, which, you know, if, you, if, if it's Evertown and Giffords, you're seeing abortion as the leading issue in the ad. That's the mm. first thing they talk about. They might talk about guns after that as sort of uh, trying to do, uh, you know, connect the two things as being people, the candidate being extreme on social issues. Uh, and then the NRA has done, to, to their credit, I guess they focused more on guns than, uh, you know, just my subjective judgment of watching the ads. The NRA has more focused on guns, but they do mix in a crime element in the same way of trying to connect the two. And, uh, and in fact, they did a whole ad in Pennsylvania that is just about crime uh, and doesn't mention guns at all. So that's sort of another indicator that maybe the gun groups are seeing this as not the top issue of the campaign. It It is. Um, and, and two, I think, you know, some of these states, um, are, are not, I mean, look, Pennsylvania is not Wyoming uh, when it comes to views on the Second Amendment, right? So crime is a sort of proxy for your ability to protect yourself um, kind of makes sense. We're seeing this in New York too, right? Uh, Lee Zeldin 
you know, the there have been some polls that show Hochul up by like 11 points, but there have been some polls that show Hochul up by like two or three points, too. So I, I don't know where that race is. Let's say it's somewhere in the middle. Um, that's pretty competitive. And, you know, I'm kind of on the one hand, I'm kind of surprised that Lee Zeldin has not made more of an issue out of the Concealed Carry Improvement Act. I hate calling it that, but that that's the title uh, in New York. Um, he did issue a statement, you know, about the special session. He uh, uh, made a, you know, a good comments after the Bruin decision was handed down. But he's not out there, you know, demanding that people have the right to carry. This is not part of his like stump speech. And it's not part of a standard attack on uh, Kathy Hochul, or at least it's not one that's really resonating in campaign ads or things like that. Um, and I'm kind of surprised by that. But I mean, you look at New York. And, you know, the Democrats have such a huge voter advantage that any Republican who's going to win statewide is going to have to peel off most independent voters in order to do that. And that means you're probably going to have to moderate your message. Right. And so you talk about crime and you talk about individual safety uh, and you don't talk up gun control, but you don't necessarily say, uh, you know what, I'm going to make sure that you can carry a gun in Times Square. Like maybe you don't cut that campaign ad in New York. Um, but I, yeah, I politically, it makes sense. I, right. But that's the thing. Like, is that, can you think of uh, somebody off the top of your head who's uh, who's laser focused on this issue on really on either side? And, no, and I think the answer is no. Even even Beto, uh, to a large degree, you know, he's he's not necessarily focused on the issue. He does talk about it more than probably a lot of other campaigns. And obviously, of all they happened in Texas. So mm -hmm. it's more of an issue. Um but I just can't think of a good example of somebody who's who's run in the general. Right. Uh, you know, you had plenty of plenty more talk about guns in the primaries. Mm -hmm. But uh, the general election, I don't I don't know that this has been the big focus. I mean, it's it's the economy, it's inflation, it's crime. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, yeah, absolutely. Um and if you're a Republican, you know, given the advantages that uh, you have over Democrats on issues like the economy and crime, yeah, why ruin a good thing, right? If that's what the voters want to talk about, then talk all day long about that. Um, so in, in that sense, I guess you could, I don't, I don't want to say that guns are a non-issue, though, um, because I think that they do have an impact certainly on the uh, on our individual safety. Uh, and I think in many cases, it is sort of a proxy uh, when we talk about crime. And, you know, don't forget, I mean, it was what back in August that uh, every town for gun safety uh, released that memo about how they wanted Democrats to to frame this as Republicans are soft on crime because they don't support gun control. Right. That well, was they have supposed done to be their yeah, they've done ads with that message themselves. Sure. And, and that was uh, supposed to, their, to be to that creditors. the narrative going into, you know, the fall in November is like, you know, they're, they're the ones who uh, who are soft on crime. They're the ones who who, who don't care about the public safety uh, because they don't mm -hmm. support, you know, a, a gun ban. What's what's kind of interesting to me is that, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot of different countries. Right. The gun control groups have run those ads, but. I've seen a couple of Democratic politicians kind of, you know, make that claim. But uh, the Democrats just don't they don't seem to want to talk about crime um, in, in general. Uh, and while I think that they are more inclined to talk about gun control. As you say, like right now, abortion's the bigger issue for the Democratic Party. And, and so that's their lead, uh, especially then, after that referendum. You know, in, in Kansas, Kansas. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, so what's interesting I, and, and I don't know how long we have here, but there are a couple of referendums uh, on Second Amendment issues on the ballot this November. There's a uh, uh, a good amendment in, in Iowa uh, and then there's a very, very bad voter referendum in Oregon. And I'm very curious to see, you know, how those play out, like if there is a red wave, if Republicans overperform. You know, right now there's a, this weird th three-way race in Oregon for governor. Yeah. Uh, and the Republican, Christine Drazen, has like a – I think the real clear politics at point average is like a two-point lead because you've got this Democrat turned independent who's also pretty pro-gun. She's talked about a couple of things like raising the age to purchase from 18 to 21. But uh, generally speaking, Betsy Johnson, I think at one point, had an NRA rating when she was in the state legislature. So there's this fascinating race for governor. 
Uh, and then you've got this ballot referendum that would establish like a permit to purchase with mandatory training. Uh, it would establish basically a, a database of gun owners. There's a, a magazine ban component component to it. And it's, by the way, like according to the state's own fiscal analysis, it's going to generate something like, you know, $20 million in revenue. And it's going to cost like $50 million to implement. So, uh, you know, the, the sheriffs have come out against it. Many sheriffs have. Um, I'm really curious to see what happens there. This is a state where yeah. you would think a gun control referendum would do pretty well. The one poll that I've seen had 51% support for it. So that's not great. This No, it's not. Not for Oregon. Yeah, yeah um, especially given the disconnect, uh, as you alluded to earlier in the show, and we've talked about before between polling and referendum votes on gun control measures. Uh, I think, yeah, the referendums will be uh, really interesting to watch uh, just like they were in 2016 with the universal background check referendums. Uh, because, you know, the, the, what a poll tells you and what the ultimate poll that really matters tells you can often be two very different things. Because you, as you talked about in there, Earlier, you know, there's this sort of idea of, uh, you know, soft support for gun control. If you get asked about it on a, a survey, you know, in broad terms, you might, you, there's probably a lot of people who might be agreeable to all sorts of ideas uh, as a potential solution to gun violence, which nobody wants and likes. And so, uh, you know, but when it comes down to here's a specific proposal that you got to go and vote on, uh, does it translate as well? I mean, there's in addition to the John Lott uh, survey that you mentioned, there's also uh, 97%, which is uh, this new sort of more moderate uh, gun control group or whatever you, whatever you want to call them. Um, they did a uh, similar uh, survey where they asked where one of the conclusions from it, and, you know, and there's a, it's much broader than just this, but one of the conclusions was like, sure, gun owners uh, will say that they support these certain proposals when asked generally, but they often have a lot of reservations about the more specific details of those types of proposals. And you start to lose a lot of support as you get more into those details. Right. And those details, you know, look, they, they generally don't come up uh, in a survey, but no. they are going to come up in a ballot initiative and in a ballot campaign. So, yeah, I, I think that's I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. I was uh, referendum is also kind of interesting just because the, the quirk of how it's written. So we've seen a lot of these state constitutional amendments protecting the right to keep and bear arms. Um, Iowa's was supposed to be on the ballot. I think it was two years ago. But there was some like voting. There was some procedural error in the legislature. So they had to go back and restart the process all over again. Um, and so the language of this ballot initiative says that uh, the right of the people, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the right of the people to keep their arms shall not be infringed and shall be interpreted uh, you know, by the courts with strict scrutiny in mind. They use the term strict scrutiny explicitly. Uh, which is interesting because the Supreme Court has said, uh -uh. rejected that. Yeah. <laughs> we're not using <laughs> tiered scrutiny, right? We're we're using history, text, tradition. That's the test. Um, right. So it's this. Although I, strict scrutiny might actually result in more laws being struck down than, yeah, of course, that's an open debate. But uh, right. the generally accepted, that would be even more gun control laws would be uh, or gun laws would be struck down under strict scrutiny. That is that is the debate. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I guess I don't know if we could. Uh, We'll see. It seems like there's a pretty lot of gun laws that are getting put on, put on hold right now. But um, yeah. that's a, that is an interesting one to put on the ballot, though. How how judges should interpret uh, the Second Amendment is not usually a, a referendum question. You know what I mean? Right. No, you're right. I think there are. I think there might be two other states that have similar language in place, but mm. uh, um, I, I think you know. And again, the intent was. Uh, for, you know, 15 years after Heller, these lower courts were using intermediate scrutiny and just upholding everything. Um, and, you know, this was the way to get around that, to say, no, stop doing that. This, this is a fundamental right treated as such. Um, and I suspect that it's going to pass. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm curious to see how big the margin is going to be. Um, there doesn't appear to have been a whole lot of spending against this ballot measure. And I'm not aware of any 
state referendum to either, you know, put a right to keep and bear arms in the state constitution or to update that right to make it more explicitly clear. I'm not aware of any of those measures ever failing. Are you? I'm, I mean, I'm trying to think no. about there have been a few over the past 10 or 15 years, but they've all passed with like 65 to 80 percent of the vote. Yeah, um, I, I'm not aware of any failing either. But, you know, all, most states have already have uh, a, you know, a provision similar to the right. same amendment in their state constitutions. So it's not a super common modern thing to see, obviously. Um, but but it is, that is an interesting twist on it, you know, where you're sort of amending it to to also lay out, lay out the judicial test for any uh, gun laws in the state. So um, it will be interesting to see how that how that fares at the polls and then how it actually gets implemented in practice <laughs> right. as well, especially given that it now would conflict with uh, the Supreme Court's new standard. Uh, speaking of which, though. Uh, one thing, you know, we obviously talked a bit about Bruin and some of the impacts and more of the, uh, you know, on legislation and uh, long-term outlook on gun laws generally. But I'm interested in what you think its impact is on this election that's happening here in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, is is part of this decline in interest on uh, guns, if it is happening, right, you know, as, as far as the polling is established and some of these other indicators the fact that the Supreme Court has handed down this ruling and now a lot more gun owners are confident that even if laws are passed, they won't necessarily withstand this test. Do you think that's having an effect or is that too high minded? I, you know, I hope that that's not the case because, I, you know, look, I have no doubt if the Democrats felt like they had the votes uh, in in the House and the Senate, they would try to pack the court. They would try to overturn Bruin and McDonald and Heller. Uh, they've said as much. Um, so I, I, I would hope that, you know, gun owners would not be getting complacent just because we had a good court decision in, in Bruin. Um, it's important to prevent the court from being packed and those decisions being undone. Um, but I, I, I think for most people, uh, the Bruin decision didn't have an immediate impact because, you know, most states were already shall issue. Now, there are some population rich states, obviously California being one of the may issue states, New York, you know, being another, uh, along with New Jersey, there are now, you know, tens of millions of people who have the right to bear arms uh, that they were not able to exercise a few months ago, uh, at least theoretically. Um, but you know, look, California is a reliably democratic state as is New Jersey and they don't even have elections. Well, I guess they have their, their federal elections, but no statewide elections this year. Um, we've already talked about New York and how it's not a top issue even there. So I don't, I don't know that Bruin is actually having a, a huge impact, um, not the way that the Dobbs decision seemed to have had, at least for a while. Mm. And I think, again, yeah. even even now, the the Dobbs decision is um, having less uh, of, of an Im impact on the other uh, race. But, you know, the real, I think, ramifications of Bruin are going to be felt uh, in the courts for a while. Uh, and then hopefully the legislatures get the message. You know, ideally, that's what happens, right? When they get smacked down enough, uh, we stop seeing so many of these gun control laws. But I don't know that Bruin is is having a big impact on on any particular race right now. Um, I I do think it's worth watching to see what happens in New York in terms of the congressional races and in terms of state legislative races, because you know what we saw in Virginia in 2021. Uh, when, you know, Republicans took all of the statewide offices, they they recaptured uh, the House of Delegates. That was not supposed to happen in Virginia. And I think I think that that gun control was the sleeper issue of that election. We saw so we many saw Second Amendment sanctuaries. Too, right? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. We did. Yeah. And we saw so many Second Amendment sanctuaries in Virginia. And, you know, these same counties, the turnout had increased and it was a redder vote than four years earlier. Uh, and I think guns had a big deal to do with it. I think you had a lot of people who were waiting two years to cast their vote. They were so ticked off 
Um, and I think that same dynamic may be at work in New York City or excuse me, in New York State once you get outside of New York City in the suburbs. So there could be some upset, you know, swing district races uh, in the state legislature uh, and maybe even, you know, some congressional districts, too. Yeah, that could be because New York would be the area where uh, sort of the post-Bruin legislation has had the most practical impact on people because it's severely restricted the ability of those who previously had concealed carry licenses in places like upstate New York to actually carry their guns where they used to be able to carry them. Um, and so that, that isn't, that is perhaps one area where like Virginia, uh, where people were, I mean, I think there's a lot more intense political pushback when a gun law directly I impacts people's lives instead mm -hmm. of sort of theoretically or, uh, theoretically impacts their rights or something along those lines, it's you're going to have a more ferocious response when, uh, you know, a more engaged uh, voting community and among gun owners, uh, if they're directly impacted, if there is something that they used to be able to do and now they cannot do. Uh, I think that that drives voting far more than sort of, uh, you know, d discussions in law journals about uh, <laughs> right. you know, what, what, what standard to use or whatever. Um, and so I think it's a good point about Bruin that, you know, there hasn't been an immediate uh, impact on most people. And even in places where, you know, obviously there, some of these states are being forced to issue permits now that weren't doing it previously uh, and so that is a practical impact, but it's one that's un is not likely to harm uh, your everyday person who's not going to really notice it other than people who are going to get the permits and they're going to look at it positively. Right. Um, that might generate some some, uh, you know, interest in voting like in, in New York, because if, if you're having this the ability to get your carry permit for the first time uh, and then that is restricted again because of the politics of your state, maybe you're much more likely to vote on that particular issue. Uh, but, but I do think generally your point is, makes a lot of sense. Um, Bruin has not led to much immediate, like it, it has led to some immediate consequences in the courts, but not ones that necessarily have extremely wide reaching practical implications yet. Right. Uh, Unlike Dobbs, which did, you know, has ended up uh, with with a lot more restrictions on abortion in in a lot of different areas, uh, not everywhere, of course, but but uh, that that's so that's an interesting, I think, uh, point of view on how how Bruin is really uh, whether it's why it might not be driving votes in in most places. It's certainly something that. I, I think we'll take longer to to have a, a more political impact, I guess. But I do, I guess one one thing I would say, though, to counter that, because uh, I think it's a good point. But I, you do hear from activists. I've heard from activists talk about I don't need to worry as much about these gun laws that might be passing because the Supreme Court's going to strike most of them down, uh, you know, after after Bruin. Like they, there's not a lot they of these modern type restrictions that are you know more controversial among gunners that will actually survive scrutiny now and so i, I don't know i, I don't know i <laughs> um you don't put all your eggs in one basket i mean if if that and you're right that that attitude is out there i think it's the wrong attitude to have if you think this first of all the supreme court accepts one out of what every 10,000 cases that it's asked to. Mm -hmm. So if you think the Supreme court is going to be the magic backstop, that's going to accept every gun control case where a lower court, you know, decides that some law from the 1790s, it bears enough resemblance to a, a modern day gun control law that it can be upheld. Um, I, I, I think you're fooling yourself, you know, we as Second Amendment supporters have to be engaged in the legislative arena, in the judicial arena. We've got a yes. We, and hopefully we've got an executive that's going to respect the Second Amendment, too. We also have to be fighting the court of public opinion. 
Um, all of those venues matter. So I, I think it's way short-sighted to say, ah, oh, the Supreme Court's going to save us. Um, and, and also, you know, again, as I said, Democrats right now, if they had the votes, would pack the Supreme Court. We wouldn't have a majority. And one of the first things that they would do is overturn the Heller decision. Um, you know, listen, I if if it gets to that point, Stephen, I would also say that we would have bigger fish to fry, uh, you know, speaking as a nation. I right. think that would be a, a horrible step to take, and uh, yeah. I hope that we don't ever get there. But and it's not impossible. Yes, yeah, so, it's not impossible, so. right? Yeah, stranger, you know. Uh, so I, I would, I would just say, don't take the legislative side lightly, mm -hmm. uh, and don't think that Bruin gives you a chance to disengage because it doesn't. Um, it's always better to stop a bad bill from becoming a bad law than to try to overturn a bad law in court. Yeah, I think from a practical standpoint, that's absolutely correct. I, I do wonder how much of an effect it has on, uh, on people. Because, I, I, I mean, I'm still skeptical, ultimately. I think that's maybe an activist thing that you hear from people who are highly engaged. And they're probably going to vote anyway, <laughs> frankly. Uh, if you're that kind of person who's following gun news that closely, you're probably a voter regardless, I would think. Um, and, and your sort of uh, average person who's might, you know, who votes in a presidential election and might vote in, vote in a midterm, uh, it's probably not top of mind for you, the Bruin decision, uh, one way or the other, I would imagine. And uh, how much of this, you know, decline in uh, people saying that guns are their most important issue is a result of, uh, that the bipartisan, uh, gun legislation. I, I'm interested in your your take on that. Do you, Mitch McConnell was quoted as saying that part of the reason the Republicans passed this bill, agreed mm -hmm. to support this bill, was to take this away as a midterm issue. Did it work? I think it probably did to some degree. Um, you know, because again, if you think about it, so even you know, right after the shootings at Rob Elementary, the murders at Rob Elementary, um. Gun control, I think, was seen as the most important issue by, you know, it was topping out around like 16, 18 percent of the population or of the electorate. Um, it still wasn't the number one issue. Right. It was still inflation. It was still the economy. Mm -hmm. um, and since then, it's slid. So gun control is never the top issue in an election. It's not. It's one of those issues that plays at the margins. Right. Which is why the NRA was able to be so effective because it, you know, if it said to its members, Hey, this is the candidate you should vote for. Uh, then, you know, that candidate could reasonably expect maybe a bump of anywhere from, you know, three to 5% because gun owners would turn out and they would vote for them. Um, but it wouldn't guarantee them a victory, you know, uh, but they play at the margins. And so did the passage of the bipartisan gun bill take, gun control off the table for some Americans. I'm sure it did. I have no idea how many, um, because again, there are so many other factors, right. you know? Uh, and I think the 800 pound gorilla in the room right now is inflation. And actually yeah. as, as we've been in the room, Steven, it's inflated to 900 pounds. So, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. I mean, like with what's going on economically there, that's just crowding out uh room for so many other issues mm. and guns are one of them yeah i mean i think i think ultimately that makes a lot of sense I, I i'm sure that the bipartisan gun bill you know whatever whatever people think of the merits of that and obviously it's very controversial still um uh, it probably had some effect on reducing the interest in you know because it was something right and they did something right that's the the classic refrain so do something. Well, they did something, uh, whether or not it's effective in preventing future shootings is obviously up for, for debate and will be debated uh, forever, probably. But um, it was something. And, and so it probably had some effect. But I do think you're right that ultimately, you know, if you look at that New York Times poll, of what the most important issues are or those YouGov polls, it will, the top two are the economy and infl inflation which are really kind of 
the right. same issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, they say they're po- pocketbook, pocketbook issues, right? That's, uh, that's what everybody calls them. And the, they drive a lot of what happens in American politics. Uh, and, and yeah, so it does seem like as we've gotten closer to the election, that's really driven to people to think less about other issues. Not, not that it won't have any impact, not that abortion won't have any impact or that guns won't have any impact on this election, but clearly it's this election seems to be far more focused on those, those core economic issues uh, at the, the cost of focus on any other issue really. Yeah. And, you know, I, I suspect that that will probably uh, be to second amendment supporters advantage. Um, cause I think that, you know, just based on what things look like two and a half weeks out, uh, I, I think things look pretty good for Republicans to at least take back the house. Uh, and you know, I, I honestly don't know how much stock to put in any particular poll. Um, but I tend to try to look at the trends and mm-hmm. you look at the Pennsylvania Senate race, for example, and the trends show a, a tightening of that race. Um, you know, very tight race in Nevada. Uh, very tight race in Georgia, very tight race in Arizona right now. So, I mean, it's entirely possible that Republicans could end up with, you know, 53, 54 seats in the Senate. It's also possible that Democrats could end up with 53 or 54 seats in the Senate. So, um, I, I, you know, the outcome, even though guns might not be the most important issue, uh, the outcome of the midterms will be very important to the issue of guns and our second amendment rights uh, going yeah. forward. Yeah, and I think, like you said, the when you're one of the reasons why guns becomes such a politically salient issue is that it can motivate some percentage of people, and in tight races, that's all. You know, that could be the deciding factor, uh, even if it's not the number one issue. So, uh, so you know, I don't, I don't want to try and paint this is not mattering at all. It's just interesting to see the the trend go from, especially so quickly to, you know, it, politics moves fast, man. I, you know, if all day happened in May, the, the bipartisan bill was passed in what, June. Uh, and I think the, the Supreme Court ruling was in June as well. It's only been a couple of months since those things happened. And, and what's our, you know, Americans listing guns as the top issue is already back down to 1%. Um, you know, that, that's a fast move, but it does at the same time, you know, I talked about earlier, uh, a few months back that it, elections tend to, especially midterm elections tend to have a certain cycle to them where, uh, the, the party in power looks like it's going to get creamed, you know, a f- several, you know, six months out, the polls look terrible, uh, especially in a, in an environment where the president has really bad approval ratings and the economy's down. Uh, you know, they, they look like they're going to get creamed. Then you see a tightening over time and there's a lot of chatter about why that's happening and momentum and and so on and so forth. And there's oh, the the in power party is going to keep control. Uh, and then once you get closer to the actual election, things starting to broaden out again. You, you get uh, where we're at now, which is people think that the out of power party is probably going to have a pretty good night and regain control of at least part of Congress. Uh, I don't know. Is that, is that, does that sound like a familiar pattern to you? And do you think we're following it here? I mean, it, 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 it is a familiar pattern. I think we are generally following it here, but not always. I mean, like, hmm. look, the Texas governor's race shows no signs of tightening up. Hmm. Uh, Georgia governor's race shows no signs of tightening up. Ohio governor's mm-hmm. race, no signs of tightening up. If, if I'm looking at the races that are tightening, it's that the Democrats who were favored to win are now falling back into sort of toss up category. Yeah. I'm not seeing any races where Republicans who were favored to win are all of a sudden now it's getting a little iffy. Right. Yeah. But that's so what I mean. The, the all, out of, all of those races party. seem to be tightening in one direction. Yeah, exactly. Um, and 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 that's not always the pattern uh, in, no, in every election so. cycle. I don't I don't think no. so. It, I think in midterms, it tends to be the same chatter pattern, at least in, in media, where, you know, oh, it's going to be a blowout for the out of power party. Then it then 
when the empower party gets a little bit, you things start to tighten. Uh, then there's a lot of uh, chatter about momentum and they're going to keep power and, and, and so on and so forth. And then when things get back close to the election, everyone's like, Oh, actually it's probably the out of power party is probably going to have gains. Maybe not what we thought six months ago, but but it would well, probably be a good night for them. And we still have two and a half weeks to go. So we've got yeah, like four more seesaws here where, you know, that's the news cycle moves fast these days. So, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> for people who want to keep up with that news cycle, uh, especially on gun issues, uh, you know, if you follow the reload, I think it only makes sense to to follow bearing arms as well. How, how can people, uh, you know, find more of your writing as we get close? Because you're going to be writing a lot, I know, about this as we close in these last these last couple of weeks of the election. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, I just wrote a, uh, a subscriber exclusive story about the uh, the postmortems on Beto O'Rourke's campaign uh, are, are already starting uh, in, in the <laughs> Texas media. That's another um, common thing, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Everyone so, wants to write about these. Um, they want to be yeah, first so, to do that. <laughs> So folks can just go to barryandarms.com. Um, it's, it's all the stories are free except for our VIP member stories. We've got a couple of those each and every day. And if you support uh, the reload, I would also ask you to uh, give us a look and uh, try to support us as well. We are also doing independent pro segment of journalism. Uh, and we've got a, a VIP membership program where you can get exclusive news stories. But uh, Cam and Company uh, is also free of charge uh, on all of the major podcast platforms, YouTube and Rumble. We do that Monday through Thursday. I was really pleased that Steve was able to come on the show today. And I, I hope that we're going to be able to do this again in the future, Stephen, without, yeah. uh, you know, the corporate miners getting in the way too much. It was, it was <laughs> smoothless so far. So I hope that that continues. Yes. Well, I, I have final say over uh, where I get to go. I just try to uh, be mindful of, <laughs> of input from, from, uh, from, CNN whenever, whenever possible. So uh, I will absolutely be on your show in the future. And, uh, and I would encourage people to go over and check out bearing arms. You guys do, uh, you know, a lot of great commentary, which really sets you uh, what you're offering apart from what, you know, the reload does. I think they're complimentary. Uh, so people should check. I think they're out. very complimentary and we are very complimentary of you uh, and the reload. Uh, you do fantastic work. We actually love covering what you're doing. Uh, in addition to uh, our, our own stuff. So uh, and we just added a few weeks ago, uh, Ryan Petty uh, as our latest contributor at uh, Bearing Arms. You know, mm -hmm. his daughter, Elena, was one of the victims at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And Ryan has a, I think, a really unique story to tell. Uh, and I am looking forward to uh, more of his contributions there on the website. So same here. All right. Well, we're going to head over to the news update now. Thank you so much for, for joining us again this week. Ken. You bet. Thanks, Stephen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the weekly news update. I'm contributing writer Jake Fogelman, joined, of course, by Reload founder Stephen Gutowski. How are you this week, Steve? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Jake? Doing pretty good. Uh, see, you got your Phillies swag on, uh, repping the team for the playoffs. Yes, run. that's important to note for people who can't see, who aren't watching on YouTube. I'm wearing a Phillies hat and jersey, and I've realized with the pace of playoff baseball, which the Phillies have not had to endure uh, for the last 11 years, but uh, I need more jerseys. They, you know, they play these games like every day. I only have two jerseys. I need to get some more. I need to get a Harper jersey after he's, he's leaving, I believe still uh, home runs in the, this playoff uh, postseason so far. So I think, I think I need a jersey. Got to rep uh, a jersey one day, every day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I, need, I need to go on a shopping spree. So buy a reload membership so he can go on that shopping spree. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but anyways, this week uh, for the news, you're actually uh, the news of the week. Uh, you made a big announcement um, that you're going to be joining a, a certain news network to provide a lot of the things that we provide here. Uh, if you want to tell us a little bit more about what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so I'm becoming an analyst that's for CNN. Um as part of uh, this, this new Guns in America beat that they're creating over there. Uh, and anyone who's been following me for, for any period of time probably knows that one of my main critiques of media coverage of firearms is that <clears throat> there just isn't a lot of knowledge about them in media. And a, a large part of that is due to 
lack of focus on the issue. Like the, the, basically the only thing that gets consistent coverage that deals with guns in America are, are mass shootings. Um, and there's no beat focused on firearms, just guns in America generally beyond mass shootings. And so I'm encouraged to see that CNN is taking that seriously um, and is, is bringing on uh, someone like me. I, I think the one of the largest drivers of poor media coverage of guns comes not from political bias, although that certainly does exist, um, but from just ignorance, really, lack of knowledge. And uh, so that's that's an area where I think um, what Cena is doing is really beneficial. And uh, as far as my role goes, you know, it, uh, you know, I'm not in charge of how they cover firearms. I'm not uh, running the, their news coverage there. I certainly will have, I'm sure, uh, input uh, on some of that, but I am an outside contributor. I don't work full time there. The reload is going to remain uh, my main focus. Uh, we, there will be no drop off in content or quality here. Uh, if anything, this will give us flexibility to uh, expand, I think, in the future um, as more people learn about the reload from my appearances on on CNN. Um, but yeah, I mean, don't expect really anything to change. Uh, certainly not for for the worse at the reload. We're, we're going to remain committed to producing the same quality and quantity of content that we've been doing since we launched uh, in 2021. And um, the big difference is that I'll be bringing the same perspective we've focused on here to CNN, you know, a wider audience. And I, I think that'll be good. Yeah, that, yeah, that's excellent news. Like you said, that's really cool to see CNN taking this issue seriously beyond, as you said, just simply, you know, every so often when a mass shooting happens, they decide to cover firearms. But it's, it's cool to see that they're taking this issue seriously as a, as a, a, a general American issue, because it is a facet of our life that guns are play a role in, in the American way of life. Um, you could tell yeah. us what, what, what exactly. Well, also, I should point out that they've hired a, a, several other reporters as well. An in-house right. reporter is going to be the lead for this uh, issue. Uh, area you know this the area of coverage and then they've also hired a reporter from uh the guardian and from the trace so you know it's it's not like a <laughs> it's like i'm the only one that they're bringing in to, to talk about this issue but i think they've done a good job of trying to find um you know a, a number of different perspectives to bring in uh, and have conversations that are more um you know about informing people rather than inflaming uh that's that's at least how it's been presented to me, and I I'm, don't see any reason to doubt that to this point. And uh, I'm hopeful that that's that's how things will go, and we'll have be able to have nuanced conversations. I'm not going on there to be like a talking head uh, who's you know doing a, you know a bunch of screaming debates. That's as I think people who follow this podcast or read the Reload know that that's not that's not my style. That's not what I do. Um, Instead, it'll be more focused on uh, analyzing the situation, trying to be uh, uh, accurate and fair to everyone involved uh, and just uh, explain what's going on with guns in America. Have they given you any indication on when you might be expected to, to make your first appearance or when they're going to really get this thing going? I know a lot of people have been asking the kind of <laughs> appearance schedule. Yeah, I mean, there's no specific schedule. Right. So they, you know, I'm sure there's some been some confusion about this because you know people here you get hired by CNN they just assume that you're like gonna have a show or, yeah, right. or whatever and it's, right. there's no like Stephen Gutowski hour uh, <laughs> that this not point. yet <laughs> maybe someday <laughs> yeah but uh, you know they've hired me as a contributor as an analyst so it'll be on an ad hoc basis when they have a story that uh, they want to cut they want some insight on uh, about you know regarding firearms that they'll uh, reach out to me and I can I can say yes or no um, but. I'll probably say yes as much as much as possible just to, um, you know, be a useful resource for them. And um, so there's no there's no like schedule that I can give people in terms of like turn on the TV. It, it, it'll be on a you know, it, I'm not going it, to I'll try to let people know as the appearances happen. Right. And we'll, I'm sure we'll probably post uh, post them to the reload when we uh, have the ability to do that. 
too. So, uh, you know, it, it'll be, and, and I'm hopeful too, that they're, you know, they're interested in when we have a story at the reload, that's, that's, uh, of national interests, you know, I'm sure that there they'll be opportunities where I'll go on there and that we can talk about stories that we break, uh, here at the reload. So, um, you know, so honestly you should keep following the reload because you might get, uh, the stories here first and then see them on CNN, uh, potentially. So, uh, but yeah, there's no, there, you know, I'm not full-time at CNN. I'm not starting a show. This isn't like a, it's not like a round table show with the four of us who are part of this operation. It's at least not yet. Uh, and no one has talked to me about that. So I don't, it's not something like coming down the line tomorrow or whatever, but, but yeah, it's more of a, I'm an analyst, uh, when there's a story related to my area of expertise, they'll have me, they'll reach out, uh, any, any of the individual shows that exist on CNN can reach out and, and, and ask me to come on. That's basically how it works. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, like I said, that's cool news. Congratulations. Um, uh, but speaking of, of big stories and, and big news, we actually had one <laughs> kind of happen the same day that you made this announcement or maybe yeah. the day after Uh new update in the New York case that you wrote a story about. If you want to tell us what happened there. Yeah, this is sort of a follow-up to uh, a story that you wrote about just two weeks ago, uh, which was uh, New York's latest gun restrictions uh, have now been found unconstitutional by another federal judge. This is the second time in two weeks that a federal judge has held parts of uh, New York's Concealed Carry Improvement Act to be uh, in violation of the Second Amendment uh, under the new Supreme Court Bruin standard. Uh, this, this case dealt specifically with the total ban on carrying a gun in uh, a place of worship, so a church, synagogue, um, you know, mosque, something like that. And <clears throat> effectively, the judge found that that is on, there's no historical analog for a restriction like that. And uh, it can't stand. And he issued a temporary restraining order against it while that goes into effect immediately. So, unlike the previous case, uh, where there was a stay put on that ruling, um, and which is still under a stay pending, you know, an appeal to the Second Circuit uh, Court of Appeals. This case, the temporary restraining order goes into effect immediately. So it's already in effect in New York. The, the, the uh, New York authorities can't enforce this ban on guns in uh, being carried by licensed carriers in um, places of worship. So, uh, and, and that's going to remain in effect until either it gets appealed and, and the second circuit court of appeals puts a stay on it, or, uh, there's a preliminary injunction hearing set for later this year, uh, to, this is a temporary restraining order that we're talking about. And obviously the next step here is the preliminary injunction, which would be a more permanent block on the law. Um, and and so it, it's pretty fascinating to see how quickly the federal court system has gone after this uh, new law that uh, the New York legislature passed in response to the Supreme Court's ruling. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting distinction. You talked about how the fact that not only is it a TRO that was immediately in effect, it wasn't stayed to allow for an appeal. It's also a little bit more of a forceful ruling, I think, than even Sidibe. If you recall from the, yeah. the previous TRO that was granted against this law, he actually seemed to think that there was some leeway for the church ban. He made a little carve out for uh, designated church security, for example. He said that yeah. they had to be allowed to carry. And it's an interesting update to see that this judge said there's no historical analog whatsoever for not allowing people in their own church, uh, houses of worship to if they're lawfully allowed to carry, to, to carry. So I think that's an interesting yeah. thing to note. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of conflict there between these two federal judges. I mean, they both find this provision to be unconstitutional. Right. The one, Sudeby was is a fascinating ruling because he goes out of his way in uh, to sort of help both sides of the issue right. uh, throughout that case, or he has gone out of his way. And, <clears throat> you know, he told, he initially tossed a case by the same plaintiffs. This was a Gunners of America's, the Sudeby uh, case and uh, Second Amendment Foundation and Firearms Policy Coalition is this this new case um, that uh, actually, I think the judge's name is Sinatra. Uh, if, I, if I'm reading it correctly, I believe <laughs> his last name is Sinatra. But uh, so Judge Sinatra and um, 
uh, so that that was Second Amendment and Firearms Policy Coalition, and and the this, the Second Amendment Foundation case is is laser focused on this one provision, uh, whereas the GOA case is is a much broader uh, attack on the law. And um, Sudeby in in the GOA case, was, he tossed the first attempt for lack of standing, and and actually he's still raising some standing questions even uh, as they proceed to the preliminary injunctions stage of of uh, that first case or that, that the GOA case, which is their second GOA case. <laughs> and SAF case is the third case, I guess, in the way that I'm explaining this. But now I've confused everyone. I, I apologize. But <laughs> that GOA case, um, he, he basically tossed it initially on standing, and but he explained to them essentially exactly how to find a plaintiff that has standing, which is what they did, and came back with a better case and said to be ruled in their favor. But in that ruling, striking down on the, most of the controversial provisions of the of New York's law, he also rewrote some of them to, like, in some cases, literally rewrote right. out what the, ta- the, legis- the, the legislature should pass. And uh, so, you know, he, he's taken a very interesting approach to the whole thing. I don't think I've ever seen a federal judge do that before. But, you know, he's effectively striking down these provisions, except where he can see some historical analog that would fit part of what the um, the law is trying to do. And so that, that's what he was doing in the case with with churches and and synagogues and, and mosques. He was like, well, you can't ban everyone from carrying a gun. Uh, you have to make exceptions for security people who are I think it was people who are desig- designated to be security for right. church um, you know, he found that that was more uh, suitable than a total ban, which is what New York had. Right. But uh, obviously, Sinatra doesn't doesn't do all. Of that. He doesn't go those extra steps. He just says this is not as written. It's not constitutional, and so it, it has to be blocked. Right. And nevertheless, you're just seeing, like you said, in in two weeks, multiple judges finding multiple portions of this law problematic under this new Bruin standard. It's pr- pretty yeah. quick secession to see that there's a lot of problems that, that we're seeing in the federal judiciary with this law. And even as this happening, we're seeing other jurisdictions considering copying this. Um, yeah, I'm, New I'm Jersey, sure. right. New Jersey is right now debating a law that will be in some ways more expansive, at least in terms of the sensitive places restrictions. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting thing to see right down the, <laughs> down the road there. Yeah, to- I mean, I, I don't know why they believe they'll fare any better but uh this is exactly what we predicted right when they passed this thing. right uh <clears throat> i believe the piece that i wrote at the time was new york tells the supreme court thank you sir may i have another because like, they're basically just doing everything that the supreme court said they can't do <laughs> uh, I, you know i don't know why anyone would be surprised by this outcome uh, now it's still the early stages uh you know temper it with that like it hasn't reached the second circuit. We don't know what the second circuit is actually going to do with this case on the merits. Um, they've been traditionally very friendly towards the state, uh, in its quest to restrict guns. Um, you have been very favorable towards or very, very, uh, um, <clears throat> they've been very favorable towards the, the state's arguments about how their restrictions, um, prevent gun violence or are meant to address gun violence or what have you. Uh, now they're not allowed to consider that anymore under the new ruling. And so the, they have to c- consider whether or not the law is, is in line with the second amendment and historical tr- tradition in regulation of firearms. But so <clears throat> how they're going to adapt to that. I don't, you know, we don't know to this point, but it's not looking good. Certainly. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know what Governor Hochul expected, but it certainly, or, or the uh, gun control groups who helped write these laws, why they thought this was going to stand is unclear to me, frankly. But um, it, it's sort of happening exactly how we expected it to play out. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see about what the Second Circuit does. But. To this point, it's not looking good for New York's new law. 
Right. You know, it's kind of been a little bit of a, a free for all in the district court level of judges. <laughs> you strike this down. You strike this down. So, yeah. Uh, so we'll continue to follow this case, of course, and give you the latest updates uh, along alongside analysis of what's going on. And uh, so if you want deeper insight into the happenings in the federal courts around Bruin, there's so much going on with that right now uh, that it's kind of overshadowing the election. And um, uh, you can kind of see that reflected and people are are not a, I have another story and analysis piece on how people are losing interest in, in guns as the election draws near. The New York Times just found only 1% of Americans put guns as their top uh, issue for this election. So uh, I have an analysis piece on, on that over at the Reload as well. If you want access to that piece and hundreds of more uh, pieces of analysis that you cannot get anywhere else, head on over to the reload.com and check out our membership options today. We're actually having a sale. 20% off sale. So those don't happen very often. They don't last very long. So take advantage. If you, if you have any interest in diving deeper into these issues, uh, now's your chance. Uh, but until, until next week, that's all we've got for you.